Welcome to Why I Hate Your Podcast. These days, there are a lot of podcasts to choose from. This is another one. I'm Crystal, and each week my brother Sean and I meet up to talk about two podcasts and why we hate them, or don't. Join us and we might help you find your new favorite podcast, or save you from wasting time on a podcast you might hate. So this week we're going to lead off with a bit of a spoiler warning for the first time, uh, because we're tackling a new genre of podcasts that we've not yet covered, which is the watch-along or rewatch genre of podcasts. We're starting off with a podcast about the show The Office. The podcast is called The Office Ladies. And there's a lot of different formats for this particular genre. So you have kind of the fan watch-alongs. Uh, there's the movie-by-minute genre, which I've come across just recently, where fans kind of each episode is a dissection of one minute of the film. Um, This particular style is, I think it was first popularized by a podcast about the West Wing, but this is where individuals who were involved in the filming of the show in question are going back and revisiting each episode, talking about what it was like to make it, giving you behind the scenes trivia, interacting with the fans, pointing out gotchas and goofs and things like that. So this one's hosted by Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, who played... Pam and Angela, respectively, on the show The Office. And this is obviously the American version of The Office, uh, starring Steve Carell and John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher and Angela Kenzie and many others. It was an ensemble comedy cast. This is produced by a company called Earwolf, which actually does have, it seems to be a pretty large production house for podcasts. I know that Jenna and Angela film this actually in a studio or record this in a studio. They will occasionally have guests on, including other castmates, other people involved in the show. Basically, the format is each episode, they have rewatched an episode of the show, and they're going in order, um, starting with season one. And then they just talk through, they'll kind of break down the episode, walk through it, share fun facts, kind of dive into trivia, talk about the filming of the episode, kind of talk about funny moments that happened. So that's the concept behind this, this particular podcast. Have you ever... Have you ever listened to a podcast that's like this? Is this your first podcast that's a sort of watch-along podcast? Uh, well, I mean, it's actually kind of a popular genre on YouTube in a way where uh, what they call e-fapping, which is every frame a pause, which is uh, basically <laughs> they, they watch it and they'll pause and talk about it and watch it again. And sometimes it's literally one second of video. They pause it and they start talking and it's one second of video. But <clears throat> wow. so that's why they call it every frame a pause. Um, I think that's actually like a YouTube podcast thing ish kind of thing. And, uh, it's more like a stream, but it kind of, it was called EFAP and it kind of became a verb. Now you're going to EFAP this video. But anyways, no, this is like the, as far as like podcast goes, the first time I've actually listened to something like this. And, and to be honest, it almost feels like a, a, like a companion podcast, although it's not like an official NBC. I think it was NBC to the office. NBC official podcast kind of thing where they, you know, have people who work on the show on the podcast to talk about each each episode. I would say if you ever go back and watch The Office, it probably would be really fun to kind of listen to this after you've watched the episode because they give a lot of really interesting trivia. Sometimes it's very minor trivia, but still very interesting. Like one of the episodes uh, for Fun Run, uh, which was, I think, the season four premiere, they, they were talking about how like the paperwork they were handing was medical records that they had the producers had bought or the you know the writers or producers or whatever had purchased because apparently you can buy old medical records but information's redacted but they would use that stuff as paperwork on the show right and so huh. 
And, you know, they're actually in and when they're working on their computers, they're actually working. So someone, uh, I think uh, they had the woman who played Meredith was the guest was a guest on that episode. And she was like doing her taxes while they were filming. So she has to look busy <laughs> in the background. So it, it just had a lot of interesting trivia because, you know, the office is very different. It's kind of a it's that kind of mockumentary style thing. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of things where you have to kind of script out mundane things and it just kind of goes into the process of that, which I think I find very interesting. I will say that both Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, they're, they sound like they ha- they're having a lot of fun doing this podcast. Yes. Uh, it sounds like that they are just enjoying sitting down, reminiscing. And it sounded like they had a lot of fun uh, actually working on the show as well. Yeah, it was it was interesting to listen to something like this. It kind of makes me want to go back and listen to like, it would be more interesting to listen to these kind of podcasts from people who are actually involved in the show to some degree, which it would be great if there was like something for Futurama or The Simpsons or some other great shows as well. But yeah, this is the first time I've listened to it. And it kind of made me want to go back and watch The Office. Yes. Um, But the problem is, though, is that they can literally like sometimes episodes are some of these podcasts, it may take them one episode to kind of go through the episode or sometimes they may do it in two episodes. And each episode is like an hour, hour and a half. So you can watch one episode of The Office, which is you know, with commercial breaks, everything's like, what, 22 minutes, 24 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have a three hour podcast to listen, to, you know, <laughs> three hours of podcast to listen to. Uh, so I just kind of went through and like looked at like some of my favorite episodes and was like, uh, I'm gonna, you know, listen to these. But yeah, no, it's, it's just, it was very fun to listen to because of that. Yeah. And, and I actually put this down as a small con is that, now that, and, and I hate this about the way media has fractured anyway, but now that NBC has their own streaming service called Peacock, all of the sh- NBC shows that used to be on Netflix, like The Office or Friends or Helen Hulu, all of those have been wiped off of all of those other platforms and are now only available on Peacock. So unless you own the DVDs or you've bought the digital seasons, like on Amazon for The Office, there is no way to go back and watch it without paying for it. So that's kind of unfortunate. I mean, if you, because I don't have a reason to to have the Peacock streaming service. I've kind of created my own menu of of streaming services I want. And that's one that I just can't justify. But you're right. This, I think this show, this particular podcast benefits from having watched the episode because I did the same thing. I, I went through, I mean, I used to listen, I started listening to this podcast a while back, but I ran into this problem of, I don't remember every episode in detail and I wanted to watch the episode and I had no way to access it online anymore. But like I, there's certain episodes I've watched multiple times because they're my favorite. So when I was revisiting this for the podcast, I did go back. I think I listened to Survivor Man, which was a recent one, but is also one of my favorite episodes. And I probably listened to maybe 15 or 20 of their episodes total uh, over time. But yeah, it's, I love the fact that they will reach out as they're prepping. They do a lot of prep work for each episode. So they'll actively reach out to, you know, Steve Carell, like for the Survivor Man episode that featured him kind of, you know, on his own out in the woods and well with Rain. Dwight. Rain Wilson. Dwight. Thank you. He played Dwight. So, and that was all Steve Carell's idea. Like he came up with that episode. He wrote it. I want to say it's one that's directed by Joss Whedon. I was shocked when they were listing the credits. I was like, oh crap. I didn't realize hmm. Joss Whedon directed some of the Office episodes. But yeah, I think, that, I think it was that one. But yeah, so it was kind of funny to hear about like where they filmed things and how they filmed things you know, where they found their locations and just, the, you know, the funny behind the scenes trivia, they would actually reach out to Steve Carell proactively. And they've done this before on prior episodes to ask him some questions that fans have because they do engage with their fans quite a bit. They'll take questions, I think, on their Instagram because they have an official Instagram for the podcast and they'll use those questions and or fans will write in with 
hey, I spotted this goof at this point in the show. So they'll call that out and credit the fan for finding it. So they have a lot of fan engagement, but they'll they'll actually reach out if there's questions that are specific, that they don't know the answer to, then they'll email Steve or email John and ask questions about it and they'll get a response back and they'll share that with the team. Or some, in some cases, they'll actually do a quick audio clip with that person. You know, they'll give them a call and record it. And so it's it's got a really high production value as well. So not just all the prep work that goes into the into this, but it's it's done in a studio. They have professional editors. They'll insert the appropriate clips of the show. So that is kind of helpful if you're not watching it. Uh, a lot of times they'll actually insert clips when it makes sense from an audio perspective, since there's obviously no visual component, just to kind of refresh your memory. I like the way they put all that prep work in and they make it kind of a big cohesive, I don't know, mini documentary on the episode, basically. To kind of go on the production value, I mean, you could tell it's, you know, it's done in a studio. The sound quality is very good. The podcast, uh, there's transitions are good. I mean, it's a uh, a very professional podcast because originally that's what I kind of thought. I thought it was just them two deciding to do this and they're kind of doing it in each other's, you know, homes or whatever. But yeah, it's obviously that it's professionally produced. And, uh, and it does have, I think it only had like one ad roll, at least uh, in the episodes I listened to, there's only been one mid, one mid roll ad that they're, they're reading themselves. And so it's not ad heavy or anything like that, which I always appreciate. It, the funny thing is, is that the quality of this podcast is so good on kind of, it's such a niche topic, I guess you could say, it's just talking about episodes of The Office, specific episodes of The Office where we've had, you know, previously uh, in the past, big podcasts that we reviewed where they've had terrible sound quality so Mm -hmm. um so i definitely can appreciate that yeah and it makes me interested to check out earwolf because i did go to their website and they do have a ton of podcasts in their in their network so i'm interested in checking it out because you're right the the ad breaks were obnoxious there was on the one i list the one i remember listening to or i made a note of there was one at the front end and then there was actually two mid-roll breaks but each one was just one ad and like you said, they're all self-read. And and if you have a Stitcher premium account, this is one where it's ad-free on Stitcher. So that's an option if you do have a Stitcher premium account. You don't have to worry about the ads. But I didn't mind the ads at all because they are self-read. They're naturally inserted. They don't feel kind of shoved in like we talked about with other podcasts where it just sort of barrels over the show and just dumps an ad in the middle of it. And yeah, and I think the one the one thing I called out is, or another thing I called out is as a slight negative is a lot of times during the episode, they'll mention a behind-the-scenes photo or something that they have personally, usually a picture or might be a screen grab of the show for a specific time code. And they'll post it to the Instagram stories of the account for this podcast. So if you're not watching what is, I don't remember how long stories are there, 24 hours? So if you're not listening to this episode within the first 24 hours of it being published, you're going to miss those stories. I really wish they would put that in the show notes or on the website because the website does have some show notes, but it's not comprehensive. All the stuff that they're like, oh yeah, we'll share this in our stories. Well, you better be like on top of this podcast if you want to catch that that stuff because I, I went to their Instagram and it was like, they don't do the thing where they save the stories. It's just, it's there for the 24 hours or whatever. So, so that's a little annoying, but they're really, really detailed. And I did find out they are like, in real life, these two are like best friends. And I think they did come up with the idea for this. I, now, I don't know if they were approached. I don't want to say they came up with the idea, but I don't know if they were approached by Earwolf or if they came up with the idea and pitched it. But they are like really good friends in real life. Like they talk outside of the podcast and there's there's sometimes there'll be some anecdotes about Jenna making fun of how Angela is always baking or whatever. You know, they 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 clearly know a lot about each other and they're dynamic on the on the show. It is very clear that they're still really good friends. 
Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why The Office was successful is that a lot of these characters, you could tell they had really good chemistry. Yes. Uh, all the various characters. And you could kind of tell in this podcast that, you know, they have kind of this natural chemistry that you, you could tell that they're friends. Um, yes. And it, it, it does have a little bit of the friend banter, if you will, where you, ha- you have two friends who, who enjoy a particular topic and they're talking about it amongst themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. As opposed to as opposed to presenting it to get uh, together to the audience, uh, you could definitely tell that they're they're friends, and it feels like that they are kind of reminiscing, uh, having nostalgia together as two friends who went through this you know th- this adventure together that they went through uh, filming The Office. So you kind of feel I don't want to say left out of it in a way. It's almost kind of like. You have these people in their in their click and they're talking to one another and you're kind of the outside person, kind of mm-hmm. you know listening into their story and you may not get a hundred percent of the context stuff that they're talking about simply because you weren't there. And for the most part, they do a pretty good job of explaining all the things that are going on behind the scenes and whatnot. And so there was time, and I guess maybe this is where it's kind of confusing me as well is that when they talk about the character's history versus the actor's history, it's a little hard because a lot of the actors. Their character names were their actual real names, right? Yes. Angela Kinsey, her character is Angela on the show. So mm-hmm. and sometimes I got a little confused, like, okay, was that actually Angela or was this Angela Kinsey? <laughs> so <laughs> that they were talking about this this whole situation with like, uh, I don't remember what it was specifically. I think it was something about cats or whatever. And so there was, a li- I, I got a little confused here and there with that. But again, to them, they don't have a problem with that because they, they automatically could separate the two, right? Because they were there. As a listener, it's a little harder to do that, but it's a very minor con, though. Yeah, it's it's funny because I I've been I've been the perpetrator of this, and I've been on the receiving end of this. But if you've ever gone to like a happy hour with coworkers, and two of your coworkers worked together previously somewhere else, mm-hmm. and they'll get into telling stories about where they worked. And sometimes they're funny and sometimes it's just like, I don't care about any of this because I'm not, I wasn't there. You know, it, it does have right. that feeling of, of they're really enjoying the conversation for, for their own purposes. But yeah, it, it, for the most part, it's, it's a hundred percent enjoyable. And there is, there is very much, you can tell that they're enjoying revisiting it and reminiscing and just kind of remembering all of the things that happened. I, oh, the other episode I was, I listened to was the one, I think it was the most recent episode, well, as of a week or two ago. Which was the one where they started the the Finer Things Club. So, you know, they spent a lot of time talking about how they filmed that because there was all these different scenes of, you know, it was kind of a montage of all the different meetings of the Finer Things Club. And it was funny because, you know, Jenna was like, oh, we got really into it in terms of all the stuff that we had to have. And, you know, it it is like listening to people who work together, having fun remembering everything. But because we've seen it. It's also entertaining. I think it's a little different than the coworker ex- example, but it can be a little like that if they're talking about the behind the scenes stuff that, you know, I think sometimes they forget that there's that every once in a while they forget that people are listening in. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's that's a good comparison that it's they definitely it definitely feels like that they they forget that they're again, like presenting as opposed to just sitting and around and having a conversation, which is fine. I mean, that's uh, I've seen plenty of behind the things scenes where it's like a round table with creators of you know some yep. show or something talking about the filming and stuff. But yeah, the, you do get kind of like that coworker banter, which again, like I said, it was just very m- minor negative or co- you know, oh yeah, very complaint. minor. Overall, though, you could tell that they're just and I, I said this earlier. They're they're just they had a they have a lot of fun making this podcast, and they had a lot of fun filming the show. It sounded like and. They get very excited about about stuff, even sometimes very minor things. They're yes. just like, you know, almost kind of like 
they get they get super excited and it's just like oh my gosh yes i remember yes. this blah 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 you know they're always in a very good mood about it i guess um yeah they can get really giggly and yes. and like you said super excited in fact there was one i had noted this as an example or something because this is the kind of detail that they get into the set had things on it like you have in an office like little bowls of candy and you know things things that just exist in an office space and there was apparently a jar of red vines that was, I guess, in the break room. And they've got they've taken to calling it out every time it was there because it was this fixture throughout the entire thing. And it was the same red vines in that jar. I have to point out something. While Toby is holding court for our background catch people, at two seconds, you will see the jar of red vines that was in the kitchen for nine seasons. Yes. Primo shot. It's right behind Phyllis. And I just looked at it and I started cracking up because I feel like those red vines would survive, you know, Armageddon because they were so shellacked and gross. Oh, my gosh. You couldn't eat them. Mm -mm. They were like sticks. Yeah. And I remember opening them in season nine. And they were the same as season one. It was scary. You know what? They should have taken those out into the woods. They could have used them to build their shelter. (laughs) I'm a big Red Vines fan, I have to tell you, when I go to the movies. Me too. Red Vines or Junior Mints? Aw, that's so cute. Yeah. And so there's funny things like that that they'll just call out like, oh, we have a a Red Vines spotting in this episode, you know. Which it also speaks to a lot of the things in the show, like the continuity. And they do spend a lot of time, or not a lot of time, but they do take time to really credit and this is one of the things I really like about it. They, they really credit a lot of the production crew. And they'll point out things in the set. Like, oh, this was really creative. And I think at one point, Angela talks about she actually, I think it was Angela. It might have been Jenna. But I think it was Angela who added up all of the weapons that Dwight had ever stashed in the office. Because in multiple episodes, he'll like pull out a drawer and there's a knife in there or a throwing star or something. And so she actually went through and like added up all of the times that he pulled out a weapon from some hiding place. And I think it was like 23 different weapons that were hidden around the <laughs> office. They they take it to a level that's extremely nerdy that like fans of the show would do, which I appreciate. Because I, I don't think that cast members of TV shows always understand fan obsession. Right. And I feel like they totally get it. They totally get it because they'll point out the stuff that's like, you know, like the jar of red vines or, you know, the, the number of weapons that he's pulled out over time, like trivia type stuff. And I don't know if I know that they actually do go through the episodes, they make their notes and they do a lot of prep work. And I'm assuming there's also probably additional staff at Earwolf that are helping them with that effort because it's actually kind of monumental. I mean, the amount of work that goes into creating this podcast is pretty epic. <laughs> That, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is when you actually have an actor, whether it's in a movie or in a show or whatever, where they're not a fan of the actual thing, right? Yes. And I think that's the reason why uh, Henry Cavill's uh, Geralt on the Netflix series, he loves The Witcher already, right? He's a huge yes. Witcher fan. And you can tell because he just nails the character of Geralt. So, and you could tell like that they are legitimate fans of the show. You could just immediately tell. And so, like I said, they just have a certain love with it that only like diehard fans, like you said, you know, Dwight counting weapons and stuff. That's things fans count and keep track of and they notice. And Mm -hmm. they do that. That just goes to tell you again about just how much fun they had with the show and how much fun they're having with the podcast is that they're just kind of fan gushing almost. That's what it really seems like. They're just fan gushing, but they're the ones who actually acted it out. Yes. And there's that weird Hollywood thing that you see sometimes where 
And sometimes it's over the top where every time they do the press junkets, they'll be like just gushing about their co-stars and, oh, he was so great to work with and he was just so great. You know, and sometimes it feels a little syrupy, sweet sugar. You really get the feeling. And and anybody who's seen bloopers from The Office or seen the behind the scenes of the final season, these people all really loved working together and they just loved each other. And so it was a really fun, happy place to work. And so I think that comes across. It doesn't feel because because they'll call out, you know, they, they'll call out the goofs, right? Like if there's a mistake in the show or whatever. But they also take time to call out like where there's, you know, continuity, whether it's a continuity mistake or really great continuity that the production crew has managed to do. It's just a fun thing to listen to because and, and I will say you don't have to watch each episode as you go through the podcast, because they go through it in such detail that as long as you've seen the episode, you're probably going to remember the stuff they're talking about. It's been a long time since I've watched The Office, but I didn't need any refreshers on Survivor Man or the whole thing with the Finer Things Club. You don't have to. It just makes you want to. That's the problem, is that if you aren't watching along, it really, really makes you want to go back and watch the episode. So you don't have to, but you're going to want to. So my suggestion is, if you are going to embark on this, just think about whether or not you're going to be willing to pay. Either sign up for Peacock for a couple of months so that you can watch, you know, binge through them, or maybe buy the seasons or rent the seasons on Amazon or something. Just be aware that you're going to want to when you watch this, even if you watch the show. Yeah, I mean, the episodes I watched, I, I hadn't rewatched those episodes, but it did make me want to watch them again, just mm-hmm. so I can catch the little things that they point out and be like, oh, it's something in the background that happened that you never noticed before. But now that you've listened to the podcast, you will be able to catch those little background things. Kind of like you said, the the red vines, which, you know, I had no idea. <laughs> and especially when they when they catch something like there was uh, a moment where I think it was Jim, uh, John Krasinski, like he kept breaking for a particular scene. And so she said, I think in the final version, you can see he's still trying to keep it together. Like you can see him like turning his head because he's totally breaking. And and that made me want to go watch that scene because I love it when that sort of stuff happens. But it really makes you want to rewatch it. <laughs> and I, I, I would like to see this also for other where actors or people who are involved with the show do these kind of rewatch things. Like I would love to see a Parks and Recreation one. You know, oh, that would at be least from, awesome. At least season two forward of Parks and Rec. Yeah. the first season was terrible. I think everyone universally dislikes the first season. You know, if it was like Amy Poehler or Nick Offerman just kind of doing this, or even if it was just like some of the side characters, you know, it, I don't, it doesn't really matter who, but it'd be interesting to see because, you know, again, it's that, it's very similar to The Office, that mockumentary style. And I'm sure there's whole kinds of crazy uh, trivia, you know, behind each episode. So that'd be really interesting to see but yeah as far as rating i I don't hate this podcast i'm not going to go back and listen to the whole thing because it's a lot of episodes of the podcast and they're only through season yeah it's a big commitment uh they're only through up to they're in season four now so and like i said a lot of episodes there's a lot of the episodes are split up into two episodes a lot of the episodes of the show they're rewatching is two podcast episodes. So, yes. and some of them are just one episode of the podcast. So there's a huge commitment, but there are certain episodes that are upcoming that uh, I'll keep an eye out for, especially when I, I did love James Spader character when he got introduced into the show, uh, Robert oh, California. Yes. yes. It'll be real interesting to hear <laughs> about <laughs> those episodes where he gets introduced into it. Uh, I forgot about I, that. Yeah, he was he was a great character. <laughs> so oh, weird. Oh, man. So that'll, that'll be interesting to, interesting to see, uh, you know, what other future episodes they talk about. And I do want to go back and there are a couple other episodes I do want to listen to because they were just my some of my favorite episodes of the show. 
Yes. Yeah. And I think I, I, same here. I don't hate this podcast. I mean, if, if you like The Office, it's a safe bet you're going to like this podcast. But again, it is a huge commitment because there are so many episodes. It's like the West Wing one. I actually, and maybe we'll talk about it in a future, but I, I never watched all of The West Wing. It was just one of those shows that I caught every now and then. And so I tried to start watching it when that because I heard so much about that podcast. But... Uh, you know, it, it's again, it's a huge commitment because there's such a huge backlog. And this is the kind of podcast where I think you want to go through all of them. I mean, you don't have to. You can just cherry pick your favorite episodes and, and you're still going to enjoy it. But I always feel like I'm missing out. I'm a completionist. So this this type of thing would be a huge challenge for me, especially now that we're doing this podcast because my podcast listening time has to be dedicated to uh, what we're doing for the show. So but yeah, I, I don't hate it. I recommend it, especially if you're a fan of The Office. Well, obviously, if you're a fan of The Office. If you don't like The Office, this podcast is not for you. Uh, Or if you haven't watched it, I don't think you're going to get much out of this podcast. So that is sort of the barrier to entry. All right. And our second episode today in the same genre of podcast, but with a different sort of spin on it, we're going to be talking about Chernobyl. And this particular podcast is specifically about the miniseries Chernobyl, uh, the HBO miniseries Chernobyl that came out in, I think, 2018. The podcast is hosted by Peter Sagal, who is the host of NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and Craig Mazin, who is the writer, executive producer, and basically the creator, I think, of the Chernobyl miniseries. Now, this is one that was put out by HBO, was funded by HBO, and then they partnered with Pineapple Street Studios for the production of it. And this was released in concert with the show when it came out on HBO. So literally, the show would premiere, I think, Sunday nights, might have been Monday nights, and then the next day, a podcast episode would be dropped that corresponded to that episode of the the series. It was a miniseries, I think it was five episodes long, and the podcast is six episodes because they have a bonus episode, which I didn't realize until we went back to revisit it for this podcast because I listened to it back when the show came out. But I think a couple months later, they had an interview with Jared Harris. So I highly recommend checking that out, too. This one's a little interesting because it is specifically a marketing tool. This was put out as part of the kind of marketing blitz associated with the Chernobyl series. And Craig Mazin, interestingly, side note, if you're kind of a video game nerd, is actually the person who's currently in charge of the Last of Us miniseries project, which I think is also HBO. I could be wrong. But anyway... So basically each episode, they spend about an hour, if I'm right, just talking about that episode of the series and really getting into the production and a lot of, it is interview style. So Peter Sagal will interview Craig Mazin about the episode. And a lot of it is what was true, what did they have to manipulate for the purpose of the show? Why did they do X, Y, Z? So it's sort of an, an interview with Craig Mazin to talk about that particular episode. Because it is sort of a marketing tool you're not going to get a critical analysis of the show this is very much a we think the show's awesome and we're going to talk about what went into making it there is no kind of breakdown of good versus bad pros and cons any of that sort of thing so this is not an analysis of the series but it is a companion podcast specifically produced via hbo to sort of be an additional way for fans to engage with behind the scenes material i think of it a little bit like you know, HBO is really famous for this. It, they'll have little behind the scenes segments that they release with some of their more popular shows. Like they did this for Game of Thrones, where every episode would have sort of a post episode behind the scenes special where the writers would talk about this, that particular episode. This is very similar to that, but a little more long form. So obviously, spoilers if you have not seen Chernobyl. 
I mean, I think everybody kind of knows what happens in Chernobyl, but if you've not seen the series, you obviously don't want to listen to this this podcast, and you probably don't want to listen to us talk about it, because we're going to talk a little bit about the show, I think, as well. But yeah, so I recommended this. Now, I know you've seen Chernobyl, the series on HBO, but you had not listened to this podcast before this, right? No, I hadn't listened to this podcast. I didn't know the podcast even existed, to be honest. It wasn't until you had mentioned it. I was like, oh, okay, this will be interesting. One, it's a limited series, which is great because it's the commitment's not that huge, right? And it, it is a true companion piece podcast. You know, we talked about Office Ladies before, which is two people, they're sitting back, having a conversation, nostalgia, uh, telling war stories and stuff, of working on the show. But it's not NBC produced. Whereas this... This is HBO, you know, of course they teamed up with Pineapple Street, but like I said, it's it's a true companion piece, but HBO is behind it. But it doesn't really feel like a press junket kind of marketing uh, thing. It actually feels like a, an actual podcast. Uh, it's very well produced. They don't really, again, you said there's not really an analysis where they're saying, oh, well, it's, it's amazing. We love it, blah, blah, blah. But it's definitely just them kind of going behind the scenes of the show. Mm-hmm. And what I really appreciated was a lot of the calling out where they took their creative liberties. Because, uh, yes. again, a lot of there's dialogue that happened that, you know, we don't know that's how they said this, or we don't know how this happened, but we can assume it is, or we did this for dramatic effect, you know, stuff like that. And there are things in the show that you would think was they took creative liberties on where, but he's like, no, this actually happened. So, uh, which there's a lot of the, him saying that. This has actually happened. He probably says it yes. a million times throughout the podcast. But it, it, he obviously has like a huge attention to detail about this whole thing. And w- which I, again, I really appreciate where they call out things like the control room. That's exactly how it looked. All the buttons and everything. But it does feel like a behind the scenes podcast. It's almost kind of like, I don't know, like usually, you know, on DVDs back when people bought DVDs, there would always be like these little behind the scenes documentary feature featurettes that would be on the special features of the DVDs. It's kind of like that, right? Uh, of them just talking about the actual process of writing and filming it and whatnot. And they also give like historical context too about you know the actual Chernobyl incident. And so I, and I, I usually dig that kind of stuff. So I really appreciated this podcast because it was very interesting. And it did answer the question of why everyone's had a British accent, which I really appreciated. Yeah, I love that that anecdote. Is like initially when they started started because originally they were thinking they would do Russian accents, and he goes, and it immediately just turns into Boris and Natasha. It's over the top. Like nobody can really do. He said so. I and he said he, I can't remember what movie it was, or there was something he compared it to where as long as everybody has their own distinct accents, so you have. Um, uh, the guy who played Shabina, um, Stellan Skarsgård. Obviously, he's sort of got a Swedish accent. And then, you know, you have Jared Harris, who has the received pronunciation kind of classic Shakespeare actor British accent. And and then you have the, the minors who kind of all have working class British accents. It just works, right? Like, I don't know why, but it works. And you don't question it. And it just sort of leaves your mind once you start watching it. But yeah, I did like that they called out why they specifically didn't go for... Russian accents. Well, and it's uh, <laughs> it's definitely I, I, I like the fact that it was a creative decision that they did that, um, yes. as opposed to like the classic example of the Hunt for Red October, whereas some people had a Russian accent, some people didn't, some people had a Scottish accent. Um, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Sam Neill, who's British, had a Russian accent, but meanwhile Sean Connery with his Scottish accent just. <laughs> 
you know, no change. Well, he sort of puts on the tiniest bit of a Russian accent, but it's just oh. barely there. It's like every, like once in a while a word, he'll try to make it sound Russian. Right, yeah. right. He'll roll his R just occasionally. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so, <laughs> but th- that's the thing, though. There's a lot of attention and detail to this series that you don't really think about until they mention it. And they talk a lot about the actual Soviet-era feel, right? Like almost the aesthetic. Um, yes. And they were just, I think there was a couple times he says, you know, this is very Soviet uh, in describing just kind of like aesthetics. And th- again, it's stuff like that that's really appreciative because there's a lot of detail you got to go into if you're going to. And I guess this is true why usually period pieces uh, win Oscar movies for you know yeah. set design, costume design, because there's an insane amount of detail you got to go into every single shot, every piece of clothing, everything that's in the background to make it feel like it's a authentic period piece. And sometimes it's stuff that you don't have to. Like they pointed out there was stuff that like when they when they were looking for a location to film Pripyat, I think they were talking about was it the apartment that she was in or something? I can't remember, but it was something where nobody's been in there. Nobody really knows what that looks like. You don't have to make it accurate. But they're like, but we still wanted to make it accurate. So I, I think you wouldn't know how far they went. Cause I, I think it just sort of all sits in the background and works. And your brain just is like, yeah, this looks great. This looks Russian. You know, it feels right. But you don't know why. But this sort of dives into the why. Right, right. And all you have to do really to make it feel Russian is just put bottles of vodka everywhere. The amount of vodka that's consumed in that, (laughs) the amount of vodka and cigarettes consumed on that show are like, you smell like cigarettes and alcohol just after watching it. Yeah. Yes. I I really like the fact that it's, every time they turn around, they're just drinking shots of vodka. (laughs) Like, like it's water. <laughs> That's how you make things look Russian. Just have vodka everywhere. So HBO did have little behind the scenes, um, I don't know, vignettes or whatever after each episode of the show. It might even be post credits. I don't remember because I've rewatched, I've rewatched the Chernobyl series probably, well, except for episode four, which I skip a big chunk of that every time. But I've rewatched this series, I don't know, four or five times because it's that good. But those little behind the scenes vignettes, which they do pull some footage from that and they play it in this series. Like the interview with Stellan Skarsgård about growing up in I think it's Sweden where he's from. Anyway, uh growing up there and literally he remembers not being able to go pick mushrooms, you know, in the woods behind his house anymore because they were all contaminated from the fallout from Chernobyl. So a lot of those little clips and stuff also make their way into the podcast, which is good. I think it it lends cuz they don't have guests on the podcast except for that last episode where they they interviewed jared harris it's just peter sagel interviewing craig mazin so it could get a little all you're getting are those two voices really just craig mazin's voice in terms of the production so it is nice for them to kind of drop in interviews with the production guy or the the set designer or you know stellan skarsgård or whoever from those little vignettes so it does add a little bit of color to the podcast yeah, actually, I'd never, I didn't get uh, two episodes of them talking about episode four, which I can't remember the name of the episode off the top of my head. The Happiness of All Mankind, that was the name of it, which, you know, again, probably not going to spoil it or anything, but it is a hard episode to watch. But I, I do want to hear about him talking about it. So I definitely will continue the podcast to be able to finish it. But I, I do want to hear about that because there's there's probably a reason why he included it in the show. <laughs> well, and it because it's true. And the particular that, and we're we're talking about a segment that is, you know, spoiler alert. All everybody abandoned Pripyat and didn't know that they were not coming back, and they were not allowed to take their pets. And so there were all these dogs that these were domesticated dogs that were still, you know, living in these apartments and whatever. And 
they had to send, not just dogs, other wildlife as well, but they had to send men out to kill all these dogs. I watched it once. I can't watch that segment ever again. Like, I always have to just fast forward that part. And it's a great episode. Don't get me wrong. It's an amazing episode. There's a lot of other great stuff that happens in the episode. But I can't watch that part. Um, But I did listen to it again, because I listened to the whole series again for the purpose of this review. And he does talk about that. And he talks about that specific guy. And... I hated that part of the episode. And like I said, I can't watch it because it's very, very hard and I just bawl my eyes out, which is dumb. There are so many other things that happen that are really sad in this series. Many other things that also make me cry. But for some reason, I can't watch that part. But he wanted to show it because it was a real thing that happened. And it was a consequence or a, a outcome of this event, right, that is really sad and really upsetting and he didn't want to just skip it or brush over it or whatever so it, it is good to listen to that episode and they don't spend a lot of time getting into the ugly you know like they they just they talk about that person and his experience that they you know that they base that character on what well, not based him on it is a portrayal of a real person so and and the trauma that that guy carried you know like he had to go and kill a bunch of pets sweet little dogs and so it really messed with him and so yeah that one that one was uh that one was brutal. But that, the episode of the podcast is really good, and it does give you some really great context. Yeah, and it goes to show, like, the accident itself, you know, it, there was more than just the human toll, right? There was yes. a lot. Because if you think about it, there's actually a lot of scenes in the show where they show dead wildlife, which is amazing now because the wildlife is, like, apparently flourishing there now in the exclusion zone, from what I've heard. Even though it's still irradiated, it's still excluded, but it's not as bad as it was. Uh, you can spend limited amount of time. I, I think you can actually get, like, tours of it now. Oh, yeah, there's tours. So, and I think they may have just recently shut off the final reactor. Because a lot of people don't know this. After the accident, you know, there's multiple reactors. It was just one reactor that went bad or that exploded. The other reactors, up until maybe a couple of years ago, the other reactors were still running and producing power. Uh, It just was only within the last year or two that they finally shut off the final reactor. So there's people who still went and worked there. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it's, it's really a fun... And again, unlike, you know, something like The Office Ladies where you have to listen. I mean, you have three hours of them talking about one 25-minute show. This, each episode's about an hour, hour and a half. Uh, no, actually, they're all less than an hour. They're about, I'm looking at it now, yeah, about 51 minutes, 47 minutes. So, you know, it, it, it's not a huge commitment. You know, if you like the show, again, the show is also not a huge commitment. It's only five episodes. Uh, highly recommended. And so there's not a huge commitment to this. If you like the show, this is a, a really great companion piece to the podcast. And it, it does... And typically, I'm not a big fan of... So, like, I think Breaking Bad's, like, one of the best TV shows of all time. Uh, mm-hmm. But they always had a, a post, you know, and they do this with a lot of big, big AMC shows. So they do it for The Walking Dead, and they did it oh, for Breaking Bad. the talking Bad. show. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, yeah, like, I think, what was it, Talking Bad or something? And uh, Yes. And the Talking Dead uh, shows. I was never really interested in that stuff for some reason, even though... Walking Dead, when it was good, you know, I really liked it back then because uh, it's garbage now. <laughs> I, I didn't have any interest in watching that. Same thing with the Breaking Bad. I love Breaking Bad, but I never really watched the Talking Bad or whatever it was called, you know, post-show thing. But with Chernobyl, on the other hand, it's a lot more interesting because, again, I guess because it's not fictional, it's it, it, there's kind of a historical aspect to it. And I find the whole thing about you know, the whole history of the Chernobyl accident very interesting I'm more, I was more inclined to actually want to listen to this because of that, I guess. And so, again, it's not a huge commitment to listen to it either. 
No, and and what's great about it is it really does focus on. It's not just gushing about oh the great actors and whatever. It 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 really does focus on the creative decisions that were made and what was real and what wasn't. Because and I think even Peter Sagal says at the beginning of the first episode, he's like he's like just a warning. Eighty percent of this show is going to be me going. Was that what really happened? Really? Because some of the stuff is very almost feels unbelievable or or maybe too Hollywood or too just too bizarre to be real when it actually is. And I think the only scene that really takes the most creative liberty, again, spoiler, if you've not seen Chernobyl, you don't listen to this, is the final episode of the series in the courtroom. And while a lot of the, like the set was super accurate, facts of what happened in terms of the show trial and the outcome of it, a lot of that's true, but Sherbina wasn't there. There wasn't this big kind of presentation by uh, Legasov to, you know, the, the the whole thing. And it is, the, in my opinion, the best episode of the series because it really does finally explain what happened at Chernobyl because the whole conceit of the show is it documents the event, but it also is a mystery. It's why did this happen? Because from the very beginning, the reason that so many people made so many stupid decisions was because nobody believed that this type of reactor could explode. It just wasn't possible. And so the mystery is why did it explode, which is explained in the final, you know, in the courtroom scene. And it's very, very well done because nuclear science is not exactly super easy to understand. So I liked that he explained why he made the choices he did to handle the courtroom scene the way he did, because I think it was. And I really like the discussion about how they came up with the mechanism for explaining it, because explaining something like that's really hard to people who have no idea how nuclear reactors work it, like me included I didn't know much about nuclear reactors and the way they explained what went wrong and how it all kind of compiled into this mess that that led to the explosion was was a really interesting choice so I enjoyed hearing him talk about the decisions to do what he did even if it wasn't factually accurate that that's where the it was accurate in terms of explaining what happened but it didn't happen dramatically in the courtroom that way Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that, that's the thing is that people don't realize is that, you know, they think, oh, it's such a, you know, it, it, yes, nuclear reactors are very complex machines, but they're there just simply to boil water. <laughs> you know, a lot of right. people don't realize that. To make steam. Lot, yeah, that's that's <laughs> nuclear reactors. They're there to create steam, to boil water, create steam. And that powers a turbine. So that's, you know, they're just glorified steam engines, essentially. Yeah, um, really efficient steam engines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It would be interesting to see, because a lot of people don't realize when Chernobyl came out, it was kind of like this big, massive hit, which I'm sure a lot of people realize that because everybody was talking about Chernobyl. And of course, the internet and all the memes and, you know, he's delusional, send him to the infirmary memes and stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, th there was a big cultural impact. And so, and I haven't gotten to the bonus episode yet, which you said came out. Uh, yeah, it looks like it was a little over two months after the final episode. I don't know if they ever talk about, like, the cultural impact that the show had in there. They didn't. It really was just a chance, I think, to talk to Jared Harris and interview him about the show. And actually, it turns out he's quite funny. I mean, he's this you know, classic Shakespearean actor. He's the son of Richard Harris. He sounds, once you realize he's the son, like at least oh, me. I didn't know that. <laughs> once I realized he's the son of Richard Harris, as soon as you hear him talk, you can no longer hear Jared Harris because he sounds, he doesn't look, I mean, he looks a little bit like his father, but he sounds exactly like Richard yeah, Harris. They have I, sort of the same intonation, like, yeah. It, I can just see the that. Just kind of guttural aspect to his yeah it, it you can unhear it once you know that but 
but he's very funny. He's he was great in, in it's a great interview with him. And it's really that's what the focus of it is. It's just an interview with him and kind of him and Craig kind of talking about the process of making the show and the character of Legasov and some of the decisions they made specifically about that character and about the performance. So it's more of the same, but you get the voice of Jared Harris there talking about it as well. So I definitely recommend it, but it doesn't really get into the impact of the series. Because what's great about this is, like you said, it was put out as the show was airing. So they were kind of, they didn't know. I mean, they, they had sort of initial ratings, but that was it in terms of how people were reacting to it. And I have a feeling, I know for a fact, that they recorded this before it actually aired. So they recorded all these companion pieces. They were released as the series dropped, but they were all recorded beforehand. So Peter Sagal got to see it early and, you know, so that he could prepare to ask Craig these questions and everything. And I do recommend, that's one thing I wanted to call out. I wouldn't recommend watching one episode than listening to the podcast. That is how it was dropped. But if you've never watched the series, Peter Sagal has a hard time not, and Craig does too, Craig Mazin, not hinting at things to come as they're talking about the context of the episode they're t- discussing. So even in like the first episode, he's like, oh, you're going to find out more about this thing later. And, you know, they, they try not to reveal anything, but listening to it, having seen the series, I was like, eh, you probably, eh, I don't know. I, I'm glad I listened to it after I, I did find it. And I watched, I listened to it shortly after the series had ended. So it was like literally the next week, I was just looking for anything Chernobyl because I was so fascinated. And that's when I found the podcast. So I like that way of listening to it. So like watch the series in its entirety and then go listen to the whole podcast series because I think that's the best way to consume it because then you have the context of the upcoming episodes and nothing's, I won't say they spoil anything, but there's definitely kind of hints at what's to come and things like that. So that that would be kind of my one, not criticism really, because I, I understand why it's hard to talk about something in the first episode without alluding to things that are to come. The series is obviously amazing and... If you didn't get enough watching the series, this is just another way to get more information about it and to hear it discussed again. And if you have watched the series and you go listen to this, you're going to want to watch it again. Yeah, that, that was my experience after I watched it. I was like, I got, I got to go back and watch <laughs> Chernobyl again, which I did watch a little bit of last night. Um, yeah. <laughs> one thing I, I do really appreciate, and this is kind of like the show as a whole, and, uh, and Chris really kind of goes into, you know, he does touch on this. Right now they're in the weird, in the current cultural zeitgeist there is kind of a i don't know there's kind of a push for communism among young people and because you can easily go to like some you know progressive rally or whatever and there's people waving like the hammer and sickle flag right and we don't really have the 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 kind of the adverse reaction to that as we do like somebody waving like a nazi flag or something there's a much more guttural just like when somebody you see a you know nazi flag but not really for the you know the old hammer and sickle and this show does a really good job and it's kind of it's almost kind of the history lesson if you will of the chernobyl incident is the bureaucracy and inefficiency of the soviet government is one of the reasons why what happened happened it's a really good lesson now me personally i've read a lot of books about uh soviet history um i've probably read i don't know it's in the double digits, the, you know, more, probably close to like 25 books, probably on uh, Soviet history as a whole. And that's one of the hallmarks of, you know, the Soviet Union is that the bureaucracy and the inefficiency of everything it touched. And I guess the, even the episode where they introduced the miners, they were talking about, you know, what's, you know, a big, huge machine size of the house puts off a ton of smoke and pollution. 
eats up a lot of power and it makes apples, you know, cuts apples into three pieces. And he says it's a machine designed, a Soviet designed machine to cut an apple into four pieces, right? Yes. <laughs> that was the, the joke he said. And, that, and that's kind of, that's the history level of Chernobyl is that it's a huge, you know, communism, especially Soviet style communism, which, you know, the, the tankies, which are, you know, people who think that's a good system of government. The bureaucracy was insane. It was insanely inefficient. And going against the status quo or trying to fix that could cost you your life, could cost you a career, yes. could cost you your life. You could go to jail for the rest of your life. I mean, the KGB was not a great organization. And so the show is very, very intentional when pointing this stuff out, which is something I really appreciate. Yeah, and it's not heavy handed because it's 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 a part of the story because it has to be a part of the story because it's a part of why everything that happened happened. You can say there's there's inefficiencies in any bureaucracy, regardless of whether it's communist or capitalist or whatever. But the fear of reprisal, the fear of taking being accountable, the I'm going to do what I'm going to say what my superiors want to hear, because otherwise I'm not only going to lose my job. I mean, you look at somebody like Dyatlov. He's he's a terrible person. He's clearly a terrible person, but he's that way because that's what gets you ahead in that bureaucracy. There's a story, there's a great story that Craig tells about Emily Watson's character goes to her, kind of her local, I don't know what the title is, but it's a kind of politician because she's the one who first kind of detects outside of the immediate area, detects that there she's a nuclear scientist that's, you know, in Kiev or wherever. And she detects the radiation coming in on the air and kind of quickly puts together what's happened or that something bad has happened and it's happened at Chernobyl. And so she goes to the her local kind of, I don't know what the equivalent title would be, MP, whatever, you know, politician. And this is a guy who, the reason he's in the position he's in is because he worked his way up in a shoe factory. And it is the workers' party, right? So most of the bureaucrats came from, they were workers and they worked their way up, which sounds great and utopian and everything, except that this guy knows nothing about running a district like you weren't promoted on merit related to the job you were given several of the characters who are bureaucrats at chernobyl who are in positions of leadership aren't nuclear scientists you know so there's there's a lot of really great information that he gives that kind of historical context they don't go into the minutiae of that too much in the show they do show you the bureaucracy and the the secrecy you know the whole show opens with what is the cost of lies and that's sort of a theme of the show and you get kind of a glimpse into that machine and why it's inefficient and why it's dangerous and why speaking out against it. I mean, it certainly cost Lagasa, well, it cost him his life technically, but it, it, from anyway, I won't get into the spoiler there, but it cost him his job and his, his credibility. He did not get promoted ever again. He was sort of just ostracized from, he was one of the leading nuclear scientists at this organization he worked at. He was not ever looked at again for any promotions. He was basically a persona non grata because he dared to speak out and explain why this was happening and that it was a direct result of the, the communist bureaucracy, right? Like the, that they chose this because it was cheaper and people knew it might be dangerous, but they decided not to to care about it. So yeah, so it was really interesting. I, I agree. It was, it was, it's not in vogue right now to expose the negative consequences that always inevitably seem to follow in a communist society. But, you know, he's very honest about it because he wanted it to be very accurate. So I, I'm glad that they didn't whitewash any of that and they just sort of, but it doesn't feel, also doesn't feel heavy handed. Right. It doesn't feel like communism bad. Yeah, they're not preaching, right? They're just saying this is how it happened. But it, like I said, it's kind of like the, if, it's a history lesson in a way. Um, yeah. And you can see because... All the characters, 
who have responsibility in this incident, they all are trying to see whose fault it is. That's yes. not their own. You, you notice it's constantly finger pointing, saying it was his fault. It can't be my fault. They're more worried about whose fault it is because in a Soviet society, it would again. They, they I mean they went to prison. You know, of course. Granted, it was a mo- it was a show trial. And to be honest, Dyatlov and all the others, they didn't know about the design flaw, and it no. wasn't really no, their fault. Didn't. I mean, it w- wasn't their fault, but they all got sent to hard labor, prison hard labor, because you know, somebody has to somebody has to pay, race basically. Well, and they and they all did make terrible decisions, right? Like they decided decided to proceed with the test, yeah. even though they shouldn't have. They decided like they made a ton of bad decisions. And Dyatlov, even when he was given the chance, when there were red flags, you know, and and um, Akimov, who truly did stand up to Dyatlov and was like, I'm not going to do this. This is wrong. You know, Dyatlov says to him, you will never, not only work, will you lose your job here, you will never work in any nuclear reactor anywhere. I will make sure of that. And that's a, that's a legit threat. Like he could do that to him. He could ruin his life and make sure he could never be employed again in the field that he's trained in if he didn't do what he said. And that creates an environment of somebody who sees the red flags and says, this is bad. We're going to, something's going to go wrong. Can't raise their hand and say, this is bad and put a stop to it. Not to say that that kind of thing doesn't happen in the corporate world, which it can in some environments, but that's just a, that's the nature of the communist bureaucracy is like, you don't speak up, you don't challenge authority at all uh, because they can just say, well, I can just ruin your life. <laughs> well, and, and the thing is, it's like, if they knew about the design flaw, because one of the big things was, and I think a lot of the decisions they made after the explosion were terrible decisions mm-hmm. because they couldn't believe that it could explode because they say it multiple times throughout the series. It's impossible for an RMBK reactor to explode. And so there was this cognitive dissonance among them saying, there's no way, if they had known- Something to- else happened. Yeah, the, the hydrogen tanks exploded, something, yeah. Right, right. So, but if they knew about that design flaw and they knew, okay, yes, there's a possible of explosion and they knew it was the actual core exploding, the response to it may have been much different. So, yeah. and again, does it mean you have to get sent to 10 years hard labor? You know, and again, it was a show trial and the Soviets are famous for show trials. They're, they're kangaroo courts all the time. But yeah, anyways, it's kind of, kind of a tangent about the issues of the old Soviet uh, Republic. But it is important to the series and it it's is. important in the podcast because, you know, Craig said that his, his primary goal was authenticity, accuracy, and telling the story and solving the mystery, you know, explaining the mystery of why this happened and, and the real the real root cause is that it was a cheap way to design the reactor. And as Legasov says, that design was in, was currently functioning in multiple other reactors. And that's something I actually haven't researched, but I want to follow up on because I'm always curious. It's still a design use ever, today. I was going to say, did they ever change those other RBMK reactors to not use graphite tips? I'm guessing they probably didn't. Because it wasn't too long after that that the Soviet Union collapsed. And then, you know, I don't even know if they have the money to... <laughs> at that point or if it was even a concern like uh, you know it, but it just it was swept under the rug even though he said hey this could happen again i mean i'm sure they put into procedures saying okay well now we know they can explode and here's how the conditions where it can happen i'm assuming that that's the case but you never know because that would be admitting that we have a flaw and in a communist system that's not that's not something they like to do <laughs> yeah i don't know if they actually ever fixed all the reactors but that style of reactor that's still used i mean there's there's rmbk or rbmk RMBK. Yeah, RBMK. Yeah, RBMK. RMBK reactors. I mean, they, we have those reactors in the U.S., so it's a common style of reactor. But but yeah, it, it was more or less they went through 
a cheap route of making it. It was this design flaw and they knew about it. <laughs> you know, that's the, that's even the scary part of it. Yep. And they didn't bother to tell anybody who was running the show. So yep. obviously, um, I don't hate this podcast. It's a great limited series. It's it's there's no ads, obviously, because the podcast itself is a marketing tool. So there's no ads. It's insightful. Great information. Again, it's not going to be this deep dive analysis of the actual quality of the series, but the series is really good and it gives you just a lot of insight into the creative decisions that were made. So if you enjoyed the series, I highly recommend this podcast and yeah, I'm probably going to rewatch Chernobyl again soon. Yeah, I, I don't hate it either. It's a, It was a great podcast. Uh, or well, let me rephrase that. I, I still have to finish it. <laughs> um, I only got a couple <laughs> of episodes into it, but I do want to finish it. But yes, it is a great podcast. Uh, I don't hate it. And again, if you like the series, you'll probably enjoy the podcast. If you don't care about the series or never seen it, probably won't care about the podcast. Um, but if you haven't seen Chernobyl, I definitely highly recommend that as well. So um, but yeah, yeah it's, it's a good series. And it, like I said, it's only uh, six episodes, so it's not a huge uh, commitment. So I definitely think it's worth checking out. Have thoughts you want to share? Send us an email at whyihateyourpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at whyihateyourpodcast.com. You can also find us at Hate Your Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Our intro, transition, and outro music is by Kevin McLeod and licensed under Creative Commons. Please see the show notes for details. 